Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There, you'll also find important announcements, along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? Then he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Hey, it's it's, uh, good to be with you. I just want to make one brief comment before I launch in about our time of silence. Um, For some of you, um, silence in a room full of people is like really strange. And uh, the reason that we do that, just to reiterate, is that so often we are sort of out there looking for God, like, God, where are you? The reality is, is that God is already present to us. He's already here. And so in order to become present to God, we have to become present to ourselves. And uh, I think for many of us, becoming present to ourselves is actually really hard. We, we do a good job most of the week just sort of distracting ourselves. From that process and so one of the things that we're doing here every time we gather is we're sort of training ourselves towards becoming present to ourselves. so welcome and uh thank you hannah for leading us in that beautiful time so in 2005 los angeles times columnist steve lopez was walking down the street of los angeles and he heard beautiful music coming from a small public park and lopez as a writer for the New York, for the LA Times, was up against a writing deadline, and he, he heard this music, and he was sort of on a search for a story, and as he was looking for this story, he saw what appeared to be a homeless man playing a two-stringed violin, and he thought to himself, that sounds like a story to me. 
And it wasn't that this man whose name turned out to be Nathaniel Ayers uh, was playing a two-string violin that sort of caught this guy's attention. It was the fact that it sounded really good. A two-string violin in the middle of a park sounded amazing. And uh, he introduced himself and Mr. Lopez, the, the writer, struck up a conversation with Mr. Ayers, the homeless violin player. And through some degree of difficulty after sitting with Mr. Ayers for a while, he learned that Mr. Ayers, who was an African-American man living on the streets and sleeping under the bridge in downtown Los Angeles, used to be a student at the Juilliard School in New York City, which is one of the top music schools in the world. It's a private performing arts conservatory in New York City. It's widely regarded to be very, very difficult to get into. It's highly competitive. Applicants spend years working on their application. They have to have multiple references. They have to perform in front of multiple people. And so, of course, Mr. Lopez, the reporter from the Los Angeles Times, begins to wonder, what happened? How on earth did it get to be the case that a musician talented enough to get into the Juilliard School in New York City is living on the streets of Los Angeles? Turns out that Mr. Ayers is actually a double bass cellist. And the reason that he's homeless in LA is because of a series of events that led him to a struggle with mental illness, paranoid schizophrenia to be exact. And when he dropped out of the Juilliard school and to enter treatment, his treatment consisted of shock therapy, a cocktail of drugs, and a whole bunch of other things that we can't really talk about. That's how they used to treat people with schizophrenia. So this whole story became a series of columns in the LA Times, and Steve Lopez ended up writing a book about his friendship with Nathaniel Ayers and how over time he was able to help Mr. Ayers get into an apartment and find community. And listen, this is a phenomenal story. It sold a lot of books. It was turned into a movie starring Jamie Foxx and Robert Downey Jr. How many have, heard, have seen the movie The Soloist? It's a beautiful movie. If you haven't seen it, I'd encourage you to go watch it. But the thing that I can't get out of my mind is the very beginning of the story where Steve Lopez is walking through Los Angeles and he hears a two-string violin and he looks into the park to see a homeless man with schizophrenia playing for the birds. And he doesn't walk away. It draws him in. He knows that this music coming from this man means that this man is a long way away from where he is supposed to be because he's supposed to be in a room full of a stage and lights and a tuxedo and beautiful music. And here he is homeless on the streets of Los Angeles. There is something as humans that when we see someone who is outside of the place that they are meant to be, that causes us to want to gather them up and bring them in and set them back to their rightful place. There's something inside of us that wants that to be the case. Does this make sense? Okay, so we have been in a series uh, for the past month and a half or so on what, what we're calling the kingdom, which we're talking about the kingdom of God. And the two questions that we're trying to answer over the course of the next nine months, by the way, we're going to be in the same series for nine months. If you have a, uh, a short attention span for like a series that long, I'm sorry, that's just the way we do things here. We like to dig really deep into something for a long time. The two questions that we're trying to look at are this, what is the kingdom of God and how does it come? 
In one of Jesus' most famous prayers, uh, the prayer that he actually uses to teach his disciples how to pray, one of the phrases in that prayer is a prayer that says, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. How does that happen? How does that happen into the world? How does that happen on the west side? How does that happen in our city of Columbus? How does that happen? And how do we get to be a part of the process of praying thy kingdom come and then being a part of making that happen? That's what we're looking at. And so far in this series, we've seen that the kingdom of God is basically shorthand for describing a world in which the God of all creation, the God whose primary disposition towards you, Stanley, is love. His primary disposition is love. And he's operating as a king. He's leading and he's guiding, but not with political power, but with love working its way into the lives of people like you and I, and then through the lives of people like you and I to bring his kingdom here. And we're diving into uh, the account of of Luke. Luke writes the account of the earliest Christians trying to sort out what it means for them to follow a crucified and resurrected Messiah in the book of Acts. And Jesus, in his sort of re resurrected state, he hangs out with people for about 40 to 50 days. And one of the guiding things that he gives to people is this. He says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in our city, in Judea, which is the surrounding area, in Samaria, which is like the farmland, and to the remotest parts of the earth. And so what we begin to read about is a message that comes from the center of this moment. And this is the basics of the message, that Jesus is the king, the kingdom is coming, and everyone's invited. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. And much of the book of Acts is, a, is about the process of this message beginning to spread wider and wider and wider. And so we see these stories unfolding in the city where it begins to disrupt people and the religious people and the political people who had all of the power begin to get angry. And so what happens is that people begin to flee the city to the suburbs of Judea. They flee the city to the suburbs and then what begins to happen is that from the surrounding area, we come across stories of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom reaching Samaria. And this brings us to the story that we're going to look at today about a high-ranking official from Ethiopia. In the context of this unfolding story, Ethiopia would have been considered the outermost part of the earth. It's about a two-week journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem in a chariot. That's a long time. This is like the outermost parts of the earth. And this morning, I want to explore the story that Hannah read about that Luke tells through three perspectives. The eunuch, the scriptures, and the temple. So first, let's look at the eunuch. So the scene in this story unfolds with the eunuch at the center. And already you're like, what is a eunuch? We're going to get there, okay? The Holy Spirit whispers in Philip's ear that he should head down the road heading out of Jerusalem towards Gaza, which is a deserted city, 
And this is a, a desert road. And so in the first century, if you were reading this, and you were reading about the Spirit whispering to Philip to head down this road, you'd be like, why is he going down that road? That leads to nowhere. And along this desert road to Gaza, he comes upon a traveling chariot, and in this chariot was seated the treasurer of the kingdom of Ethiopia. Now, the one sitting in the chariot was neither unambiguously male or female. Luke makes us aware that this person is a eunuch. And in the first century culture, there were several different ways that one can be outside the very clear categories of gender and sexuality. Jesus actually describes three different kinds of eunuchs in Matthew chapter 19. In the ancient Near East, a eunuch was usually a castrated male servant. Are you awake yet? The eunuch was usually a castrated male servant or one who was unable to reproduce because of some birth defect. Something maybe happened along the way, preventing somebody from being able to engage in sexual intercourse, engage in reproduction, and that is basically what a eunuch is. And so when Jesus talks about the eunuch, he says that there are eunuchs that are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And then there are eunuchs that choose to live that way for the sake of the kingdom. That's in Matthew. We're not going to dive deep into the context that Jesus is talking about there. But I'm saying this to say is that this would have just been everyday language, friends. There's like three different kinds of eunuchs floating around the cities all throughout the kingdom. And a eunuch would often be employed at a high level within a kingdom because if you're going to have a man close to the top of the ranks of power to perform a task like keeping the books and dispersing the money, it's better to have someone in that high position controlling the money who doesn't actually have other kinds of power. It's, 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 it's the case that a eunuch couldn't seduce anyone or be seduced. So think about how power works in our world. Think about how sexual power works. The reason that they would put eunuchs in this place of power was because they had had their power removed from them. In a world where male sexual dominance was sort of the currency of the time, if you wanted a male to be at the top of power, you had to remove their power so that things didn't get complex. You're thinking, why does any of this matter? We're going to get to it in a second. So either this Ethiopian eunuch either made themselves that way to land a good job, or they had that done to them as an act of subjugation, as an act of we are going to invite you into the center of our power structure, but we're going to remove some power from you. Are you guys following me? Okay. You can come into our high-ranking position, but first we're going to need to take your power away to reproduce. We're going to take away your power to have a family, to have anybody that would take care of you so that you are permanently bound to us. So this eunuch, in his own cultural context, had the ear of the queen and lived a life of luxury. 
He was well-educated, which is why he's carrying a scroll. He knows how to read. He has a chauffeur driving the chariot. And he has just traveled 1,500 miles from his home, probably on official kingdom business of some kind. And while he is in Jerusalem, he's eager to take part in one of the feasts of the Jewish people, one of the celebrations, one of the worship services at the center of the city. He's an outsider because he's from a far-off country. He would have stuck out in the city simply because of his skin color. He's not Jewish by birth, and so the worship service that he was coming to in Jerusalem would have only let him have so much access, very limited access for this person, both because he's a Gentile and because he's a eunuch. You see, in the Jewish law, there was still being upheld by the priest he would not have been allowed to come into the place of worship in Jerusalem. There's a certain religious purity law that excluded eunuchs from the religious privileges enjoyed by other members of the community. Deuteronomy 23.1 says that no one who has had their testicles removed, either on purpose or because of an accident, is allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. This man is an outsider. And so this eunuch would have traveled to Jerusalem to worship the creator God, and he would have only gotten so far as the section of the temple that is reserved for the Gentiles and the sick and the lepers and the beggars and the outcasts. Can you imagine making that long of a journey and getting there and then basically facing a wall that will not allow you to come into the worship service? And this outer court section of worshipers, the ones uh, who were worshiping the lame and the deaf and the blind and the outcasts and the Gentiles, these people in the nosebleed seats of the worship service, this is the same section that Jesus comes into earlier in the Gospels and flips over tables. And the reason he flips over tables is because he says that this house of prayer and worship is meant for everybody, and you are turning this outer section into a shopping mall. What they had done in that time is they began to take advantage of people who were sick and deaf and blind and lame and poor by inviting them to this outer section and saying, you can't come any further, but if you give us some money for this little lamb that we have, we will take the lamb into the sacrifice and we will deliver your worship product into the Holy of Holies. We will make sure that your worship is okay, but you, you have to stay on the outside. Are you guys following me? All of this is really important to the story. This is what would have happened with the Ethiopian eunuch. Birds and sheep would have been sold in this outer court. And so Jesus, back in the Gospels, he turns over tables and he says, this worship is meant to be for everyone. But now with Jesus out of the way, the reality is, is that the laws and the priests, they, they would have just gone back to normal. And so this outer section was now basically a little shopping center with birds and doves and sheep and goats that were sold to the poor people at an ex 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 extorted price. All sorts of injustice happening here. Okay, so this eunuch, traveling for probably two weeks by chariot, comes into Jerusalem as an outsider. He's one from the margins. He's dark-skinned. He's gender ambiguous. He's probably not carrying an animal for sacrifice. 
and it's likely uh, that he, he buys a, a lamb for the sacrifice and he hands it over to the priest and he doesn't get to enter into the place of worship where everyone else is worshiping because he is considered unclean. You're starting to get a sense for maybe what this eunuch had just experienced on his little road trip to Jerusalem. He's heading home. And the good news of this story, what is about to unfold as we look a little closer, the good news is that the kingdom of God is for this person. It's, the kingdom is for this person. The kingdom of God has always been designed for the people who we imagine are on the margins. Full stop. That is what the kingdom of God is for. This is the eunuch at the farthest edge of the world, an outsider to the center where historically is the place where God's presence dwells. He's a sexual and gender minority in a cultural empire where male sexual dominance is the primary cultural currency. And here is Philip, one who has been with Jesus, chasing after him on a dusty, deserted road to go and get him. So if you need a picture in your mind of what the kingdom of God is about, this is one of those stories that you can sort of pin at the top of your feed. This is the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like in real life. The kingdom of God has always been designed for the people that we imagine are on the margins. And the way that God brings those marginalized people back to where they're meant to be is that he begins to speak to them. He begins to speak to them, which brings us to the scriptures. So the eunuch was not a marginalized per person in his own culture. He had to basically go to church to experience that. He's coming back from Jerusalem where he is a marginalized person. And what is he reading? He's reading a story about a marginalized person. This excluded Ethiopian eunuch is reading a passage from the prophet Isaiah about somebody who would be cut off from the land of the living, who would be excluded for his shame and would die in shame and humiliation as an act of service for others. It actually sounds a lot like the eunuch's life. So this is what the eunuch reads from Isaiah, the prophet. It's a good story, isn't it? Man, it's a good story. This is what the eunuch reads. He says, and he, this is the prophet Isaiah, because of his affliction, he's speaking about Jesus, but Isaiah, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, doesn't know yet that he's speaking about Jesus. So this is written hundreds of years before the life of Jesus. And he, because of his affliction, opens not his mouth. He doesn't speak. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is dumb. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare for this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth because of the iniquities of my people. He was led to death. So the eunuch is leaving Jerusalem where he's just been rejected. 
He's trying to make sense of his own life, and then he sees in the scriptures the life of one who would be excluded and cut off and ultimately die with nobody to remember him, no descendants. And the eunuch is like, who is he talking about? Because my life looks like that guy's life. God has put his very own self into the scriptures so that God himself can receive our gaze and mirror back to us something within our own story. I'm going to say that again. God has put himself in the scriptures. He's written a story through the scriptures where God has made himself the center of the story so that he can receive our gaze and reflect back to us something in our own life. And we find ourselves in the story. I don't know if you've maybe had a moment like this. I wonder if you have any sense of what in your life right now might get mirrored back to you from God. What would that be for you? If you were to look at the scriptures, if you were to find yourself in the story, what would God want to mirror back to you? What would he want to say about you? Maybe you can actually relate to the story that we're reading this morning. Maybe you feel a bit like an outsider. Maybe it's not that for you. Maybe it's the writer of the poetry in the Psalms who feels under the thumb of someone else and he cries out to God for help. Or maybe it's a story about a man named Jacob who lied and cheated and stole from his own brother because he needed so badly his father's approval. And the lack of that fatherly approval has shaped a good deal of his life. Maybe it's the story of the multitudes of women who cry out to God to open up their womb for a child. God has planted himself in the story of the scriptures, and he is waiting for you and I to find ourselves in it and to find him in it, mirroring back to us all of the pain and the suffering and the joy and the laughter and the love and the potential healing for our lives as we come to understand that God himself knows what it means to be a human being. He knows whatever you're facing, like he knows what it means for you to be faced with the thing that you're faced with. He knows what it means to be a single mom or a rejected son, or a family facing family, or economic crisis, or rising interest rates, or housing that you can't afford. He knows, friends. I can remember one of the most significant moments where my life got mirrored back to me through the scriptures. I was actually on an airplane flying over the Atlantic Ocean. And I was working my way through a, a series of exercises that put me in the midst of the scriptures. And on that particular overnight flight, I was awake, I brought out my Bible, and I just began to read the next thing that I was supposed to read. And it was a parable of a story where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a bunch of workers who, who show up to work one day. And some people show up at 9 o'clock in the morning, and they work through the entire day. Other people show up at noon, and they start when the sun is really hot. And then there are some people who show up at like 4.30 p.m. right before happy hour, and they work 30 minutes. And the story that Jesus says is that the landowner, the guy who's like in charge of all of the work, 
at the end of the day, he's beginning to hand out money. And he starts with the person that showed up at 4.30, and he gives him a full day's wages. He's worked for 30 minutes, and he gets a full day's wages. So he's, like, headed to happy hour, like, right now. And then on to the person that worked at noon, who, is, who also gets a full day's wages. And then the person that showed up at the beginning of the day gets the same amount of wages. But the person that shows up at the beginning of the day is frustrated that the person that shows up at the end of the day got the same amount of money. Who are you in this story? What I begin to realize is I'm the guy down here working my tail off frustrated that the people who aren't working very hard are getting the same amount. And God began to speak to me, and through the story of the scriptures began to mirror back to me the fact that I do not understand grace. The way that grace works is that everything is the same. Everybody gets the same. It's all free. Why are you so frustrated that you signed up to work a day and you got paid for a day? And I just happen to be really generous with this person who's really ready for happy hour. Why does that make you so angry? And as I begin to pray through this scripture, God began to reveal my heart to me. And guys, I'm on an airplane and I am losing it. I am like crying the guy next to me is like looking over at me like I am trying to hide with a blanket and a pillow and I am uncontrollably being spoken to by God. I had to get up out of my seat and go to the bathroom and sit on a little airplane bathroom just crying my eyes out because of the grace and the mercy of God. What, when have you ever had an encounter with God mirroring yourself back to you through the scriptures? Has that happened to you? If that's never happened to you, we want to figure out a way to help you have that experience. That's why we're here. God has put himself in the story so that you can find God and that you can find yourself. The entirety of the scriptures are stories and poems and songs and hopes and encounters that people have with God of all creation who is trying to woo people to himself by crafting a story where you and I can meet God and ourselves in the same story. And the way that he is wooing people to himself is that he has put himself in the story and he has put you in the story to demonstrate that whatever is happening in your life right now, he's ready to join you. He has stitched himself to you. Does this make sense? You guys with me? Okay. Which brings us to the eunuch reading the scriptures from the prophet Isaiah. And he doesn't quite understand what he's reading. And so it says that beginning with this particular scripture that the eunuch is reading, Philip preached Jesus to him. Which brings us to the third perspective that I want to look at through this passage, which is the, which is the temple. Uh, one of the major themes that we've looked at just a little bit earlier in the book of Acts, which we've just talked about a little bit a few weeks ago, is that the way that the kingdom of God is coming is through extending what used to happen in the temple out into the world. So in Acts chapter 2, when the believers are gathered together to wait on the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, Luke writes that the Holy Spirit comes with power, 
And the presence of God fills the room with a rushing wind, causing those that were gathered to speak the good news of the kingdom in multiple languages. So what happened in Jerusalem is all of these people, all of these travelers are there for the festivities and the worship, the same festivities that the eunuch would not have been allowed into. But when the Holy Spirit comes, all of the disciples of Jesus, they begin speaking in different languages so that all of the travelers from all of the surrounding areas heard the good news in their own language because the presence of God came with power. This presence used to only exist in a tiny room in the temple. There's one little room in the temple called the Holy of Holies that housed the presence of God. And then out around that room were multiple rooms that based upon your status, you could get closer and closer to the presence of God. And in the, in the room, there was only one person allowed to enter the Holy of Holies one time a year. And so the presence of God, which was contained primarily to this one room for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years inside the, or, the inner part of the temple, was now spilling out into the followers of Jesus and filling them up with the presence and then sending them out onto the city streets to proclaim the good news to the world. So this eunuch who came to Jerusalem because he wanted to get in on the celebration of the presence of God in the temple, and he was barred from entering near to that presence of God, and he's on his way out of the temple, probably feeling a little disappointed. So, sorry, he's on his way out of Jerusalem, probably feeling a little bit disappointed because of he was not enabled to participate in the worship service. And so because he could not get into the presence of God in the temple, God brought the temple to him. God brought the temple to him on a dusty road leading outside of the city. The temple of God, who in this particular instance was named Philip, by the way, climbed up into the chariot and with the presence of God began to make sense of that guy's life through the lens and the picture of the life of Jesus. Under the old system, the people would come to the temple and deal with priests, and the priests would represent the people to God. And now, God has, has poured out his spirit into the lives of those that have joined themselves to Jesus, and now you represent God to the world. Do you see what just happened there? It used to be the case that we need a priest to speak on our behalf to God, and now it's been turned upside down where now God has entrusted you to speak for him. Do you guys know that God has entrusted you to be his spokesperson in the world? That's the upside down nature of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is about dispersing the presence of God into the world. And this is foreshadowed in that scene where Jesus cleanses the temple to make, to make room for the wounded. It's baked into the well-remembered story about a shepherd leaving the 99 to go after the one. It's turned into a parable in the Gospels through a story about a man who throws a feast and invites all of his rich friends. And all of his rich friends say, I can't come. And so 
The person throwing the feast says to his servants, go out and find the lame and the beggar and the poor and bring them in to my feast. It's highlighted by Matthew who said that when Jesus died, the huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies in the temple from the room surrounding it, that heavy curtain that separated the presence of God from the people was ripped from top to bottom, busting it open. The presence of God spills out of the temple onto the people. The entire story of the kingdom of God is about the presence of God extending out into the margins to bring people in from the margins into the presence of God. The presence of God has spilled out of the temple and into you and I, which means that you and I are the presence of God in the world. You, friends, you are God's good news in the world. You are God's good news. Your life is God's good news. It's a good story, isn't it? It's a good story. I want to close with a bit of a recap in the story, and I want to introduce one more person in the story that I haven't talked about yet. The eunuch is traveling out of Jerusalem on a desert road. They've just been rejected in the temple and reminded of their insufficient insufficiency. They're reading about another one who was rejected from the scriptures. And who sees the eunuch? Who sees the eunuch? We think it's Philip. We think it's Philip. But upon a closer little look, it's the Holy Spirit. Before Philip sees the chariot, God sees the chariot. Before Philip sees the eunuch, God sees the eunuch. Luke writes that a a messenger from God comes and speaks to Philip and says to Philip, go down the dusty road. And then as Philip is on the road, he notices the chariot and the spirit says to Philip, go up and join the chariot. And here's the thing, you you gotta just picture this in your mind. Philip had to chase after the chariot. He had to run to catch up. And as he comes up next to the chariot, he hears the eunuch reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. And as the story unfolds from there, they eventually come to a spring and the eunuch sees the water and says, is there anything that would prevent me from being baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. Come on in, bro. Come on in. Come into the family. We don't really read the rest of the story. We don't get the rest of the story of the eunuch traveling home. But let me paint a picture for you of what I think it probably looked like. As the eunuch gets back into the chariot and continues on the journey to Ethiopia, he's soaking wet from his baptism. And I imagine that he would have kept reading the same scroll that was in his hands, the scroll of Isaiah. And just a few chapters later, so probably within the next hour, 
after his baptism, soaking wet, the eunuch would have come to these words. Again, from Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah writes this, for my salvation is about to come and my faithfulness is about to be revealed. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord is going to separate me from my people. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls of the temple a memorial to them. I will give to them a name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And the foreigner, those who join themselves to me, I will make them joyful in the house of prayer. I will accept their offering, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all of the people. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So as we come into a time of worship, I want to leave you with just a couple of questions. Just think about the eunuch reading that second passage on his way home. You are the good news of God in the world. I'm the good news of God in the world. Because Christ has stitched himself to you, he has poured his spirit into you, and you are the temple. And now he's asking us to take the temple to other people. And so the question is, is what does it look like in your life right now to listen for the whisper of God to tell you to go get somebody on a dusty road okay let's go into our time of worship let me just pray for us holy spirit we thank you for your presence in your word god we thank you so much for the story of this eunuch we thank you god that you flung open the doors of your temple that the curtain has been torn that the presence that you so desire to fill the earth as waters cover the sea, Lord, that you've entrusted into our hands and into our bodies and into our mouth. And so, God, I pray that you would, even now as we worship you, God, would you give us the grace to imagine what it means for us to extend that presence out into our city. In Christ's name, amen.